Hello there, this is A.D. Robles, and you're listening to A.D. on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. All right, all right. Well, today, a couple different topics. Looking forward to talking to you today. This is going to be the first new content, really. Well, yeah, I've done some new content. I don't know, whatever. This is going to be some interesting stuff, I think. Uh, kind of a grab bag, though. Let me start off, though, with a disclaimer. And my disclaimer is that I am not saying that I am a prophet this is mostly tongue-in-cheek, but I want to talk a little bit about my prophetic prowess this week. <laughs> How's that for a contradiction? Anyway, um, this gets started with just kind of a funny thing. On uh, on Monday, actually on Tuesday, Tuesday morning, I came out with a tweet that a lot of people, it really resonated with people, and so, you know... I. I'll put some different kinds of tweets out there, but I always find interesting which ones get a lot of retweets, which ones get a lot of likes. And I say a lot, you know, in relatively speaking, of course. Um, But uh, here's what my tweet said. And, you know, talk a little bit about this. Again, this is prophetic AD coming at you. My tweet said this, Big Eva teaches love and a sort of pride for the cities, but teaches against love and the same sort of pride For the nation. If you put those together, what you get is a palpable disdain for everyday rural folks. Rural Christians and non-Christians are painted as backwards, Neanderthals, gun-toting, Bible-clutching, fearful bigots. It's in all the rhetoric, and it's all the alliances that you see with the leftists, and it really disgusts me. My background is a mix. I've been in the city and the country. My family from the Bronx. I live in New York City for a long time. But I grew up, so to speak, in New England. The disrespect for country folks that I see is one of my biggest pet peeves. I loathe it. A lot of people really like that because I think this is very true. I don't have data on this. You know, I'm not saying that the statistics say or anything like that. But if you look at Big Eva, you know, the conference speakers, the people who write books, the people who have big platforms and followings, you'll so often see uh, people talk about the strategic value of, of, of the gospel in the city and how great the cities are and how much they love the cities that they minister in and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that's fine. I love the city. Uh, listen. I live in Vermont right now, in, in, in somewhat rural, you know, Vermont. I live in a town, the second largest town in, 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 in Vermont, but compared to most places, this is probably the sticks. <laughs> but I love the city. I, I, I grew up, uh, you know, in, closer to cities. I was born in a city. I lived in New York City for eight years as an adult. Um, and all of that, I love New York and you see it all the time with like church planters in the city and stuff. They'll, they'll post these inspirational pictures of the city skyline and they'll say, God loves this city. This city needs Christ gospels for this city. And that's all good stuff. I love that stuff. Don't get me wrong. It's all good. It's a little corny to sometimes some of the memes that you see or things like that, but, but it's awesome. But you don't so, – so there's a love for the city. There's a sort of pride in your city that, that big evil pushes and they love and they promote and all of those things. But you don't see the same thing about the nation at large. In fact, you would get sideways glances if you started saying things like, Jesus Christ loves the United States. I love the United States. And you saw these, these inspirational images of, of, of eagles and flags and stuff like that. You start posting stuff like that before long, you're going to be called a white nationalist. You see what I'm saying? So you don't see the same sort of love and pride 
promoted for the nation. And so if you do the math, again, this is not literal math, but if you do the math, it's okay to love the city. You can't love the nation. What does that leave over? Because the cities are in the nation. Well, what that leaves over is essentially the country folk, the rural folk, the people that are having hootenannies and stuff like that. Like that That's what it is. And so it's no wonder that we feel this palpable sort of disdain for common everyday folks coming from our big evangelicalism leaders. And I really hate that. I really hate that because I know country folk and they're good people. They're good people. They're people that love the Lord. They're people that just are trying to get by. They love the nation. What's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. But anyway, so I got a lot of, 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 of love for this tweet because a lot of people have seen this exact thing, but they haven't really thought about it that way, where it's like, okay, you can't love the nation. I can love the cities. What does that leave over? Well, that leaves over country bumpkins like me. Prophetic AD was in play, though, because I think it was the next day, <laughs> the very next day, we see this tweet from Tim Keller. <laughs> It's true that we must bring the gospel to the city, but we should also recognize how much the city brings the gospel to us. <laughs> it's a fortune cookie. Tim Keller is a fortune cookie. Every time you look at him, you crack open a new fortune, and this is what it says. It's true we must bring the gospel to the city, but we should also recognize how much the city brings the gospel to us. Now, Tim Keller strikes me as a guy with a sense of humor, okay? Tim Keller does strike me as a guy with a sense of humor. I've, I've seen Tim Keller uh, in many different contexts. I sat next to him at a conference once. I listened to a very, a very kind of an intimate setting. I listened to him speak about church planting. I've seen him preach. You know, I, I, lived, in, I lived in New York. You know, Tim Keller is the star there, right? Um, and he strikes me as a guy with a sense of humor. People were, were teeing off on this tweet because it's such a funny formula, right? People were teeing off. You know, you could replace city with anything. And is it true? Like the first thing I did was it's true that we must bring the gospel to white nationalism, but we should also recognize how much white nationalism brings the gospel to us. Like you could replace it with anything and it, no one would ever say it, but you can say it if it's city that you put there. So prophetic AD was in play. I, I did not coordinate this with Tim Keller. It's just hilarious that the very the day after I recognized this thing, this inconsistency with people love loving on the city, but then looking at you sideways when you love on the the nation. The ne the very next day, Tim Keller does it, and he's one of the biggest proponents of this kind of. You know, he doesn't say he hates the, the 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 country, and I don't think he would. He does hate the country, but there is a palpable sort of disrespect i think for for country folks regular everyday christians in the bible belt and in flyover country and all that kind of thing that you get from people like tim keller tim keller is a perfect avatar for what i would call big eva let me just say this at the outset i love tim keller i do he's problematic in my opinion in many ways but i do love tim keller i don't think he's a snake i don't think he's a wolf i think that I, I don't understand a lot of what he says a lot of the time at this point, but Tim Keller was instrumental in bringing the gospel to me, okay? And so I, I, I like him, but, but this tweet, man, it just showed you, you, you could never say this. I mean, you could say this, but nobody would because they'd be, they'd be, they'd be, they'd be, they'd be, they'd be looked at with sideways glances. Like, for example, it's true that we must bring the gospel to America. 
but we should also recognize how much America brings the gospel to us. Now, it might be just as true as the statement he said about the city, but people wouldn't say that because people would say, well, what are you trying to say about America? Is it better than everyone else? You know, like it's just, it's just like one of those kinds of things. It just doesn't make sense. It's true that we must bring the gospel to 4chan, but we should also recognize how much 4chan brings the gospel to us. You see, like, um, it's the same truth there, but it doesn't, it, no one would say it. it it's, not, it's not valuable in, in terms of a statement. Sorry about hitting my microphone there. Anyway, so, so, so there it is. I mean, prophetic AD is at play. He's, he says something about Big Eva, and the next day, Big Eva delivers. <laughs> Oh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. I heard somebody argue in defense of Tim Keller and in defense of this idea that the cities are more important than the the country. I heard somebody argue that, well, because the cities have more people and God loves people, clearly then God loves the city more. And I thought that was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard. And again, it's like, could that work in any other context? Ready? America has more people than Nigeria and Ethiopia combined. So can we say, would anybody say that God loves America more than Ethiopia and Nigeria combined? No, nobody would say that because that would get you uh, labeled as a racist. That would get you labeled as a nationalist, a white nationalist, the worst kind of nationalist, apparently. That would get you labeled as, as, as a xenophobe and all kinds of evil sounding things. No one would ever say it, but you're using the same stupid logic. So what is really happening here? There's no principles at play with a lot of this stuff. This idea that God loves the city more or, or all that kind of stuff. Or you can say nice things about the city, but not the nation. You can be a, uh, an urbanist, but you can't be a nationalist. Like There's no principles to any of it. What it amounts to at the end of the day is that they think this sounds good to our culture. This makes them look good to progressives. This makes them look good to the secular culture. That's why they'll say something like this about the city, but they wouldn't say it about America. Even if the logic applied uh, uh, is, is applied in the exact same way. That's prophetic AD. It's not because I'm a prophet. I didn't know Tim Keller was going to say this, but I, got the, I know how these people think. I've got their number, man. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the next thing because I just wanted to, to mention this as well. Now, here's a plug for my other show on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, Reform Jellical. Reform Jellical. If you guys don't watch Reform Jellical live, we have a great time. In fact, Reform Jellical, our, la- our, our, our most recent episode drops today on Friday. Excuse me. And we had some things to talk about, and the things we were talking about were really good. But there were some people watching live with us that actually asked some fantastic questions. And it actually drove the conversation into something even more interesting. So I would, if, if you don't support Reform Jellical now, consider supporting us. Consider joining us live when we do this show live because you can ask questions and, and even potentially steer the conversation one way or the other when you participate live. It's a lot of fun. We've got like you know three or four people that pretty consistently join us live. I'd love to have some more. And so consider supporting us. But anyway, we were talking about a topic that nobody likes to talk about, but you have to these days. You just have to. And we were talking about the topic about of pedophilia, and we used as a as a jump off point a clip from from Joe Rogan, where basically they're talking about pedophilia, and it starts off so interesting. It says these guys say, "Well, what about these people that say it's a sexual orientation and they're born with it?" Because there's a lot of people making that argument, right? And the and the guest on Joe Rogan said, "I don't care if they're born with it." 
That actually makes it worse. If you're born with this and this is an unchangeable orientation, you're actually even more dangerous to society. I would agree. That, like, it makes no difference if you're born with a proclivity to murder or not. Murder should still be illegal. Murder should still be frowned upon, you would think. But what I found so interesting about this is this is exactly what we say about homosexuality. We say, look, if you're born with it or not, it actually doesn't make any difference. It's still a sin before God. It's still something you should not act upon. Whether you're born with it or not, it makes no difference. Many men feel like they're born to have sex with as many women as they possibly can. It doesn't mean that that's the right thing to do. So, so it was so interesting to hear two secular people, two pagans, talk in the same way that we would, we've been talking about sexual morality in a lot of different areas. And so what we were talking about was the penalty for pedophilia and things like that. And we were going to just talk about that. But then somebody in the comments said, I have a question, an honest question. Why is it that we have in the Bible um, very clear, you know, sort of uh, issues, or I'm sorry, very clear verses that address homosexuality as a perversion, but we don't have that in terms of pedophilia? So, like, I don't want to be using some other standard. I want to be using the Bible's standard. And so, what do I do with that? And that is a fantastic question. It really is. How can we say that 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 we should we should outlaw pedophilia if the Bible doesn't have an explicit verse that says we should outlaw pedophilia? That's a great question, and it's there's an answer for it, so don't get scared. But this is one of the things I find so helpful about being reformed, right? Because when you're reformed, you know, you, you obviously everyone should be reading the Bible. Everyone should be trying to understand the Bible for themselves. But when you're reformed, you don't have to do it alone. It's not just you and your Bible and you're trying to figure everything out from scratch like nobody else had ever thought of these things before or anything like that. You don't have to do that. In fact, I think it's unwise to do that because we have a tradition. Now, the tradition is not infallible, but we've got great men from the past who have thought about these things for a very long time, have built upon each other, and we can look at that tradition and we can say, okay, when you're reformed, we've got confessions, we've got catechisms, and we can address these things um, very completely by, by using our scriptures as our infallible authority and using our confessions as, as a guard, as a help, as 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 a tradition that is valuable to us. You see, as Christians, we ought not to be afraid of tradition. We just don't worship tradition. We just don't, we just don't call the tradition infallible the way other, other uh, denominations or other um, religions do. That, that's the difference. So when we look at the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the first thing it talks about is Scripture, which is a good place to start, obviously. And here's what it says in the beginning. It says this. It says, uh, in chapter one, it says, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, for man's salvation, for faith in life is either expressly set down in scripture or by the good and necessary consequences that may be deduced from scripture. Okay, so that's a lot. What that is saying is so important to understand. It's saying if you're it, God, the word of God is 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 sufficient and it's 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 good concerning everything you need to be a complete person, right? And so, if you're going to use the scripture, understand that it, you either need to have an explicit verse, or you can extrapolate from explicit verses and essentially have and, and essentially 
certain things will follow from the explicit verses that make sense uh, going forward. So, so, so let's so let's just say this. So, obviously, the Bible condemns adultery, right? Having sex with with someone outside of your marriage, right? Outside of your wife. Um, it doesn't have to say that you can't have sex with a robot that looks just like a human in order for you to deduce with the good and necessary consequence of the of the law outlawing adultery that you can't you, you, just, you see what I'm saying like like we didn't have to have a verse about androids to know that when they create androids that look just like women uh, and all of that and they have an android brothel you shouldn't go to it as a Christian. You see what I'm saying? So even though that's not expressly forbidden uh, expressly forbidden we know that from the good and necessary consequence of what we do know about Scripture, that follows necessarily. And so that's a great statement from the Confession of Faith. And then if you, if you, if you know about the Westminster Catechism, it, it actually applies this many different uh, times. One of the most helpful sections of the Catechism, in my opinion, is the section on the Ten Commandments. Because what you find when you, when you go into the Ten Commandments is the t- commandments are these like, these sections of, of law and sections of morality. So it says you shall not commit adultery. But if you use the Bible and you and you look for both explicit verses, but also good and necessary consequences of those explicit verses, there's a lot that goes into that seventh commandment. So it says you shall not commit adultery. But if you go to the catechism, it'll tell you the kinds of things that it has in mind when it talks about adultery. Here's question uh, 138. What are the duties required in the seventh commandment? And the answer is, the duties required in the seventh commandment are chastity in mind, body, affections, words, behavior, the preservation of it in ourselves and others, watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses, temperance, keeping chaste company, modesty in apparel, marriage by those who do not have the gift of continency, that's the gift of singleness or whatever, conjugal love, and cohabitation, diligent labor in all our callings, the shunnings of all occasions of uncleanness, and resisting the temptations thereon too. That's a lot more than just bare bones adultery, but it all fits under that idea according to good and necessary consequences of the scriptures. What are the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment? Remember, it's all it says is you shall not commit adultery. But if we take the scripture as a whole and we apply the good and necessary consequence, here's what we have. The sins forbidden in the seventh commandment besides the neglect of the duties required are adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, all unnatural lusts, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, affections, all corrupt or filthy communications or listening thereunto. And it goes on and on and on. And so that's the idea here. So we don't have a verse that speaks of pedophilia in particular, and there's no age, you know, cutoff point in scripture as well. And so go to go to Reform Jellicle to get the full discussion of this, but this is important. Deuteronomy 22 talks about rape and the punishments for rape and all of that kind of thing. And this is where we start to apply the good and necessary consequence today. Here's what it says about rape. But if a man finds a betrothed damsel in the field and the man forces uh, the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. But unto the damsel do nothing, because it, there is no, it, in, in the damsel there is no sin worthy of death. So the idea here is you, you find two in the field and they're having sex. And you can assume that the woman um, was screaming, but nobody could hear her because they're in this field. They weren't doing it legit. The man took her to the field for the purpose of raping her. So there was no consent. And so what we can see here is, this is an example of 
where you apply the principle, you apply the general equity of the law. Because nowadays, we don't necessarily need to go by this field. Uh, uh, you know, we find someone in a field, you can assume that they were raped. We actually have other ways to see if somebody was raped or not, right? But the idea is the general equity that we want to apply here is consent. And when it comes to pedophilia and prepubescent teenagers and stuff like that, um, the idea is that the consent is the issue here. And so if uh, uh, if, a, if a man forces himself upon a child, there was no consent there. We can assume that that child did not consent. Even if the child didn't resist or say no, that child is in no position to consent. And so we can apply the general equity of this law and the good and necessary consequence of this very clear passage regarding finding a woman in a field with a man and say, if you find out that a man forced himself on a child, you can assume that there was no consent because the child cannot give consent, and the penalty is death. Death. Do you understand what, what that means? If a pedophile abuses a child, that person should be wiped off the face of the earth. They are not suited for life anymore. Not in God's world. God wants to meet that one immediately. Obviously, two more witnesses and things like that. But, but this, is, this is why we don't mess around with pedophiles, right? Pedophiles, whether they're born with it or they just decide to do this one day, whatever the reason is, they deserve the death penalty when they are convicted on the evidence of two or more uh, witnesses. You know what I mean? That, that's just the bottom line. And we can do that without an explicit verse because we don't have to have an explicit verse. All we need is to apply the general equity and the good and necessary consequence of the general equity. And so what we have here in Deuteronomy 22 is, look, the issue is consent. If you find a woman and a man in the city and she didn't scream out, well, you know, that sounds more like adultery to me than rape. That's what the Bible is saying here. But you see, now, again... We, we, we have other ways to find out if someone was raped or not. We have other ways to do this nowadays. And so, and so again, it's not, the, it's not the specific specificity of this law that we need to be concerned with. Rather, it's the general equity of this law. What is, this, what is the issue at stake that God is trying to limit here? And so go to Reform Jellicle to see the full, communi- the, the, the full conversation about this because this was a very kind of a quick thing. But, but this is why I know that pedophiles, when convicted of pedophilia, should be put to death. We shouldn't put them in jail. We shouldn't give them a slap on the wrist. No, they should die for their, their crime. This is why I know that, because of, of, of this law and applying uh, the good necessary consequence and the general equity of it. Anyway, I hope that wasn't confusing. That, that's a topic that maybe requires a little more than 10 minutes. Uh, but anyway, I hope this is helpful. God bless. Don't forget to tune in next week on Thursday for AD on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network.